0: This week we are looking at Romans 1, 8 through 15. And again, to set the stage for this passage, just a reminder, Paul has not visited the Rome and the, and the church here. And in this section he is beginning to explain why. But in doing so, he praises them and he teaches them some very important lessons about his own life and his own ministry. And to be sure, Paul is speaking about his own life and his own ministry here, but I believe that what he says about his own life and his own ministry holds true for our lives and our ministry as well. As believers, we are all ministers. And what, what, what will our lives look like when we have a right understanding of grace, when we have when we have begun to really, really dig in and fully comprehend the gospel and grace. And what will happen, I believe, and what this passage speaks to and, and, and what I want to encourage us today with is when we, when we really understand the grace for, first given in our own lives, that grace will flow to other people's lives. When we first grasp it in our own lives, the full consummation, the the full purpose of that grace is in order for it to flow into the lives of others. Any failure to do that, any stopping short of that is a a failure to really, really grasp the grace of God in our own lives. We, We have said in Romans the word grace will be an important word. We talked about that yesterday some 155 times it shows up in the New Testament Paul's writings account for a hundred of those usages, and twenty four of those usages, almost one quarter of all his usages of the word grace, appear here in Romans. If we're to function properly as believers, if if both to believe if we're to reach out to fellow believers and non believers alike, then we must grasp the grace of God in our own lives first. Did God, ask yourself, did God save us by grace through faith simply for us to be forgiven, but then to live for ourselves? Or or have we received grace in order to be conduits of grace? Did did God shed grace and open your eyes to His grace and allow you to receive His grace in order for you to be a a cul-de-sac, meaning a dead end to that grace? Or did God shower His grace upon you in order to be a conduit of that grace into the lives of others? Those look look very differently. And it it results, the the source is an understanding of grace. Understanding of blessing. Paul didn't start to church in Rome, and yet, we'll see here in a minute, he was thankful to hear what God was doing in them and through them. Again, even though the Roman church, the church there, those believers there, were not a direct result of his labors, didn't matter to Paul. He rejoiced. He rejoiced to hear that God was working. He rejoiced to see that God was working through their lives, no matter who was responsible for it. Paul wasn't out to build an empire for himself. He did not exist for himself. He existed, as we saw in Romans 1-5, for the glory of the name. He existed to be a conduit of God's blessings and and an ambassador on behalf of God, as we'll see, to others. We, we even as believers, we need to better grasp the gospel. Even as believers, we need to better grasp God's grace. Because everything about our lives, our mission, our calling, our are everything that we're called to do, as we'll see, and we'll get there in Romans 12 through 16, everything about that is built upon a right understanding of the grace of God. We'll, we'll say it over and over again. Romans 12:1, therefore, Paul says, therefore, a total, huge hinge, the entire book of Romans shifts from understanding the gospel to applying the gospel. And he says, therefore, Romans 12:1, I urge you, in view of the mercy of God, in view of the grace of God, here's how you live. Everything about our lives is, is sourced in right understanding of the mercy of God, the grace of God. And this will be huge as we look at this passage and set the stage for the rest of Romans. Paul is explaining that here. I think he's, again, he is explaining his own ministry, but yet he is explaining how our lives ought to look as well. Look look with me at Romans 1, 8 through 15. Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for for you all, because your your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers and making requests, if perhaps now, at least by the will of God, at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may establish You may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so that for my part I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The main point I want us to walk away from here, and we see this in Paul's life, but I want us to see the same holds true in our own lives, and you see it in your handout. As believers in Jesus Christ, who have through God's grace experienced the joy of being a recipient of God's grace, we are. Here's the word I want you to walk out of here with today: obligated. We are obligated to share that grace that we have first received with others. We're obligated. As soon as we see that word "obligated," we immediately. I mean, I'm, my my heart is wor- wearisome, if you will, and and that's why I think this is important. My heart worries that we think wrongly about this word obligated. That it involves a lack of love. That it involves doing something that we really want to do. That God's telling us to do something that we don't want to do. But that's not at all how Paul sees it. And that's not at all, hopefully, how we'll see it as we dissect this passage, even the rest of Romans. Listen, when we truly grasp the grace of God, you will want to share the grace of God. When we truly grasp the gospel in our own lives, that we have been saved by grace through faith, that God, dem- that God demonstrates his love towards you in this, that while you were a sinner, that word, it literally, invert that's Romans 5, 8, verse 10 says, while you were an enemy, while you were a hater of God, while you were a rebel, while you were whatever, fill in the blank, God saved you. Undeserved unmerited unwarranted when we grasp that and we really deep down internalize the truth that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way that someone can be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God when you really when we really really deep down grasp that you will begin to feel an obligation to those around you to share it. Listen, if, if we were all diseased in here, and I had the cure in my pocket, and I didn't share it with you, what would you think about me? If you were diseased, and I had the cure in my hands, and I, would I be obligated to share it with you? If somebody had given it to me and had said, look, I give it to you to not only be cured, but to share it with everybody else, and I did not do that, what would you think about me? If somebody gave me this cure and said, look, your job is to go share it, and I would you say, Chris, you're obligated to do that? Absolutely you would. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you, has you, just as you have received a special gift, employ it in serving one another and as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has graced a believer. He has graced you. He has blessed you in order to be a blessing. He has equipped you to be that blessing. But we won't be that blessing until we really grasp the grace of God. We really won't be the blessing until we understand fully how much we have been blessed. We're never blessed simply for our sake. We have been recipients of grace in order to be givers of grace, in order to be conduits of that same grace, and to do that to the glory of God. And if we're not conduits of grace, listen to me, you're misunderstanding, you're abusing the grace of God. We have have received in order to be givers. To be givers. And and, and this this is an obligation. And, And this obligation is why Paul was so eager to come to Rome. We see it here explaining, even defending his desire, and he had been prevented from coming thus far, but his desire was to go to Rome. Why? To be a blessing and to receive a blessing. We saw it. Not only to be an encouragement to them, but to be encouraged by them. We, you and I, believers, were meant to be conduits of grace, and in doing so, glorify the name of Jesus. And, and that's what I want us to see here. First of all, again, in verses 8 through 10, and, and, and Paul starts where I think it all starts. And I, and I love the, the idea here because this is such an overlooked... When, I talk, when, I, when we talk about ministering to people and being blessings to people, we immediately think about doing, doing, doing. And yet Paul was prevented from doing. What was Paul? But yet he says, I was ministering to you how? By prayer. It began with prayer. But he says, I thank my God for all of you. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps by now, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Paul saw prayer as a means of ministering to others. A ministry to which we are obligated to. Paul is doing a couple of things here. Not only is he establishing a rapport with an audience he didn't know for the most part, but he's also letting them know that even in his absence, he's been ministering to them from afar. Even in his absence, they've been on his mind. He's been thinking about them. He's been praying for them. And in doing so, he's been sharing God's grace with them and for them. He was under obligation in a good way. The question right off the bat is, do we see prayer this way? Do, do we see it as a burden, as an obligation to be praying for one another, as essential? That if anything is going to be accomplished in and through us, it's going to begin with prayer. And, and Paul says it in, in 9, in my, he says he serves God, this is the way he served God, in his spirit. Paul is is calling God to witness his actions, even actions that nobody else saw. When you're praying for somebody in your closet, in the privacy of your room, wherever you do it, even while you're driving, nobody sees it, but God sees it. He hears it. And listen, unbeknownst to us, we're blessed by it. No, nobody, can see, nobody can see me praying weekly and daily for us as a church. But God knows it. And it involved God's heart. I mean, Paul's heart. Nobody could see it. This was a service that came from the heart. And Paul is saying, I've been ministering to you long before I ever come to you. Even though I've been prevented to physically be there, I've been with you in spirit. And I've been praying for you deeply in my heart. And Paul begins to get down here to the motives of serving. Do, do we serve for the affirmation of others? Do, me, do Meaning this, do I serve only in ways that people can see and applaud? Or am I willing to serve in ways that nobody may never see or applaud? What's our motive? Do we serve to please God or do we serve to please others? Are we content serving God in maybe ways that nobody's ever going to see except that God sees and knows? Or are we only interested in in publicly serving? Because prayer, what we see here from Paul, prayer is an essential aspect of our ministering to one another. Essential. We must see prayer this way. Nobody else may know it, but God knows it. Integral part of our loving and serving and ministering to one another is praying for one another. E- even while we're rolling out this new Fellowship One, again, why, why this new software so that we can minister to one another's better? Why the, assign deacon, families to deacons so that we can minister to one another's better? Why, why do this? It's so that we will be a more godly, unified, tighter community. And it starts with prayer. Why does Melissa weekly send out a prayer bulletin? Because it starts with prayer. If you're not a part of that, it's because you haven't signed up. Some of the things in there are can be private, and we only send that out to people who who have signed up, who have admit said I will commit to pray. I, I can remember Zerny uh, Zerny Gano. Some many of you remember him. He was here when we got here, and and he was really the a patriarch in, in many ways, and. And as Zerny aged, uh, his body and mind would not allow him to do many of the things that he once did. I can remember when I first got here, every Wednesday, going with him to Volunteer Way. This is with an 85-year-old man loading the back of his truck with food, bringing it here, unloading it. Week after week after week, we did that. And as he aged, his body would not allow him to do that. And weekly, I would go and sit with him out on his dock. and He couldn't come to events. He couldn't do a lot of the things that he once did, but here's what he could do, and which was powerful, he prayed. He prayed. I think about Barney Myers, who went home to be with the Lord recently. For some reason, Barney Myers at Idyllwild, uh just talking about the grace of God, fell in love with me, just felt a, a tie to me. Uh, he's the one that he, he found out I loved magnolia trees. And when we um, came out here, he's the one that on his own planted that magnolia tree at the corner. Just to, just to remind me that God loves me. Just remind me of the grace of God. That man never came here, but he prayed faithfully. Faithfully. He ministered. And I pray that we would be a praying church. I pray that we would not relegate prayer to some last-ditch effort where it's like, oh, it's come to that? Like we've exhausted everything else. Oh, you got to pray now? No, no, no. It's come to that at the very beginning. Pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Prayer is an essential aspect of our ministry. But it doesn't just stop with prayer. We need to pray, but it doesn't stop with simply praying. Secondly, Paul said this, and this is B on your handout. Paul saw being involved in each other's lives as a means of ministering to one another, a ministry that we're all obligated to participate in. Look at 11 and 12. I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Why did Paul want to come to Rome? You see it on your handout, fellowship. Paul longed to come to Rome to share God's grace and have God's grace shared with him through fellowship, to minister to them and have them minister to him, to encourage the Romans and have them encourage him. And in doing this, this mutuality, it would establish them, it would root them, it would ground them deeper in the grace of God that they would have a better understanding of the gospel, and they would do this together. And the question becomes, do we see our lives this way? Do we truly believe that we need each other? How involved are we in each other's lives? As as I've studied this over the last couple weeks, very convicting to me. We live in a world that it's it's show up on Sundays, do your thing, and go home, and ne'er the two shall meet. We pull into our garage doors, we shut the garage door. Even in our own neighbors, are we ministering to them? I'm not not sure they're here today. We live across the street from Anthony and Mallory Puzzlesny who attend here. I've never seen two people that are better neighbors than Anthony and Mallory Puzzlesny. Never, Never in my life have I witnessed two people that are better neighbors than them. They are intricately involved in other people's lives, and not in a weird way. They're just out and about. They're constantly out in their yard. They're constantly out playing with their kids. And it's amazing how our neighbors end up gravitating to them. Ministering to one another. Building each other up through ministering to one another. Our gatherings, our being together as a body are immensely important. This is not perfunctory. This is not something we do just to check the box. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brethren, verse 12, that there be none in you and have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Listen, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our insurance firm until the end. Why do we gather? To encourage one another. To encourage one another to hold on, hang on, hold fast. You go to Hebrews chapter 10, same thing. Do not forsake the assembling together as the habit is such, but encourage one another. It ought to be encouraging when we come here, no matter what life is thrown. And listen, we come in here with with family issues and marital issues and health issues and financial issues. And listen, we come in here together and we look around and there's 300 other people who are battling the same fight. That ought to encourage. We come here and we realize that you're not alone. That ought to encourage. Getting involved in one another's lives, if we're going to really encourage one another, we got to get involved with each other's lives. And that's, that's incumbent upon me, but it's also incumbent upon you. It's incumbent on both of us. If We can't just come here, sit down, and then immediately leave and say, nobody talked to me. Yeah, because you weren't approachable. Nobody called me. But you don't come. It goes both ways. It cuts both ways. There are classes every... Why do we do grow groups? For you to get involved. Why do we do chili cook-offs last night? For you to get involved. For you to meet people. It's an an obligation as the body to be involved in one another's lives, and not just a few of our favorites. That's why we do Fellowship Three, to get involved in one another's lives. To to encourage one another to hang on, to establish, to root up, to build up. The the word picture here in verse 11, as far as talking about be established, it literally means to be made strong in the grace of God, that each of us would be strengthened in the grace of God. A better understanding, a better grasp on the gospel and the grace of God. That is what we need individually and corporately as a body more than anything else. A deeper understanding of the grace of God and the gospel in our own lives. But it's going to require being actively involved in one another's life. If we would grasp this, we, we, I, I so fear that we've fallen in this trap of the grace of God and the gospel is good for our initial salvation and once we're in the body, now we can just go do whatever we want to do and we don't need the body anymore. No, no, I need grace today no different than I needed it the day before I got saved. I need God's grace daily. I need the body daily. Satan is lying to us, thinking that this is an individual endeavor or that we can do it alone. It, we need to be actively involved in one another's lives. Just coming in on Sunday and listening to me preach and then going home will not suffice. That is not what we have been called to be as a body. Not at all. And if we were honest with ourselves, if we were very honest, and if and, and we would admit, first of all, that we need to better grasp the grace of God, that singular confession right there would greatly impact this body more than anything else, going deeper in the grace of God first received in our own lives. And, and Paul sees serving one another as essential, as an obligation. You see it in a handout, Paul shows us here the mutuality of the body. The truth that as, listen, the truth that as we minister to others, we are ministered to by those we minister to. And and as I wrote that down on Thursday, I thought I better be careful how I say that. But listen, as we minister to others, we are ministered to by the people that we minister to. Listen, I'm involved in Bible studies throughout the week. And listen, it is not primarily about the other people in the Bible study. You know why I do those Bible studies, why I'm eager to do it? Because God, in His grace, keeps me grounded in the Word of God as I try to keep others grounded in the Word of God. I'm desperate not to depart from this Word. I'm desperate not to forget this Word. I'm desperate to know this Word. Any of you, I'll brag on my mother-in-law. She she, she has, I wish more than anything that Frank Amorati was still alive today. Okay, and yet in his absence, my mother-in-law has poured herself into other ladies in this church. She has. There's many of you would raise her hand. She has poured herself, opened her home, but she herself would say this: she knows the word of God today because of doing that better than she ever did beforehand. She was ministered to as she ministered to others. That's the way it works. And again, I always feel bad. I go home, I'm like, man, I don't want to yell. I don't want to come across like I'm angry. Please hear me. I'm desperate for this to happen. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for how I shepherd and pastor. And I I even went home last Sunday and I was probably as melancholy, as down as I've ever been. I feel like we, we, listen, we are fighting every ounce of our culture, every ounce of our sinful flesh to get involved with each other's lives. To grow in this grace. To, to take the gospel deeper. And what makes this difficult is that in the body, there, there's commonality, but there's distinction. And here's what I mean by that. Commonality in the sense that all of us have been partakers of grace. We're sinners saved by grace. There's a commonality there. And yet... And and that commonality binds us, it establishes us, it roots us, but there's also a distinction, meaning this, there's different perspectives, different convictions, different giftings, different convictions, and if we're not careful, that will tear us apart. The very thing that God has given us in His grace, the, the differences to bind us and bring us together is the very thing that if we're not careful will tear us apart. God God is interested in unity amongst diversity, not unity amongst uniformity. We are different on purpose. He has gifted us differently. We are at different stages. Why? So that we can reach more people. So that you and I can use the grace we have received, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, to comfort others with the grace we have received. And that looks very different in all of our lives. But it's a mutuality. It's stop living for ourselves, stop spending all our time on ourselves, and get involved with other people's lives. And that's hard. But listen, but that's where we learn about God's grace and the gospel in the context of a body, together, one another in a deeper way. Listen, think about it. Where where are you ever going to learn to forgive one another when you live in isolation? Where where are you going to ever learn to confront somebody gently in love in isolation? where are you going to learn to grieve with one another in isolation? Where are you going to learn to rejoice with one another in isolation? Where are you going to learn to bear one another's burdens in isolation? How are you going to learn to serve someone else? How are you going to learn to be selfish? What I've noticed about Chris Basham is I'm really good at serving Chris Basham, and I get along really good when it's just Chris Basham. I I mean, I'm really good when it's just me. Like, you do things my way, I am really good. God in His grace introduced the gift called Karen. And then He introduced Bradley and Sarah Grace. And they're blessings. You know why they're blessings? Because they confront me with my sinfulness. They're teaching me how to love people that are different than me. How to serve people that are different than me. How to be committed to people that are different than me. How to, how to confront sin, how to forgive. I, even last night, I had to go to my son and I had to apologize for, for my attitude and overreacting because I did not sleep well Saturday night. Then I was more mad because Karen graciously, gently confronted me with that, and I was mad because she was right. Like, she's like, Bradley, your daddy is in a bad mood. He didn't sleep good last night, just forgive him. And then I'm mad. I'm like, don't you, i warning I I bit my tongue. I didn't say a word. Not that I'm forgiven by that. I had to even repent to the Lord for wanting to say something. But she was right. But you know what? I need that. And as painful as that is, I need that. Because you know what? I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better follower of Christ. And again, I'm not knocking singleness Listen, you can do this even as a single person in the context of a body. That's why we have not age-graded our classes. Listen, every person in this church, I hope you feel welcome and wanted in any class that we offer at 11 o'clock. Why? To learn. Singles from couples, couples from singles. Younger to older, older to younger. Younger we only do that in the context of a body and it's the same thing that's true in our marriage is the same thing that's true in this church you know you you in a marriage you're taking two sinners and you're putting them you're yoking them together and the closer you get listen the closer you get with your spouse you know what's going to probably happen you're going to probably rub each other wrongly more why because you're in close proximity because you're vulnerable. And, and you care about one another. It, struggles in marriage do, don't necessarily mean you got a bad marriage. It might mean that you got a great marriage and you're moving closer and closer together. And so you're willing to work things out and you're willing to deal with this stuff and work out the rough edges. And we become more vulnerable with one another. We know more about each other. Even in marriage, Karen, Karen knows about my flaws. And I know about hers. For the record, hers are fewer than mine. She's very sick. That's why she's not here today. So just email her and say, Chris said hers are less than mine. But but listen, where where do we learn? Where do we learn to practice the Word? In our homes. In our homes. And that vulnerability, not only can it create where we rub one another wrong, but it also creates phenomenal intimacy. Because we're known... And we're loved. Listen, to not know somebody and love them, that's fairy tale stuff. For it to really be loved, you need to know them, and then you still love them. That only happens in the context of a body. And, and again, even in our gatherings, we need a deeper grasp of the gospel and grow together and do life together. Listen, otherwise, here's what happens. We become self-righteous, and we think that we are better than we are. And Paul's going to deal with that in Romans 12. He says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think, but think as to have sober, sound judgment, that each has received a gift according to the grace of God, and in doing so, employ that to serve others. Romans 12, 3 and following. Listen, just be honest, all of us tend to gravitate to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We forget God's grace in our own lives. We forget His mercy. We forget His forgiveness. We think we've been forgiven a $500 debt when really our sin debt was about $10 trillion unpayable. And when we think that way, listen, we won't love others properly. We will not be proper ministers. And, and, and to prove that, if you look in Luke 7, I mean, Paul himself would be an example of that. Paul, Paul saw himself as a chief of sinners. Why was he so desperate to, to communicate and to shower God's grace upon others? Because Paul knew how much grace had been showered on him first. He called himself in 1 Timothy the chief of sinners, and we see it in a parable of this in Luke 7, verse 40. Read it real quick. So, so Jesus in the house of one of the Pharisees, Simon, and this woman is standing there, and she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and anointing him with oil, and, and Simon is just bewildered by this and appalled. Listen to what Jesus, Jesus answered him. He asked him the question. He says, uh, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, the Pharisee said to Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. What's the Pharisee implying? That he's not a sinner. That's what he's implying. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. That's That's a bad response right there just right off the bat. A moneylender had two debtors. Listen, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Listen, here it is. Where's the root of this? For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, what does he say? Loves little. You see the point? You see how it's directly tied to us first understanding our own forgiveness, first understanding the depth of our own forgiveness and understanding the gospel. If it's going to flow into others, listen, if we're self-righteous and think God only forgave us 50 narii, we're going to be like Simon. But we understand that God forgave us, that we're the 500 denarii debtor. It'll show. You can go to Matthew 18 and see the same thing. One man is forgiven this. this this huge debt and he goes free and then he throws a guy in prison for a smaller debt and Jesus says, to the degree that you forgive one another is to the degree that you will be forgiven. Why? Because he's showing you don't grasp the gospel. The degree that we forgive one another and share one another grace and mercy, we're explaining to the world how much we grasp the gospel and our own forgiveness. And you see it on your handout. God's grace will not flow freely to others until we better grasp God's grace in our own lives first. I mean, if we, listen, if we keep God's grace from others, we are at least on some level saying that we deserved God's grace and the rest of the world does not. That's what you're saying when you hold grace. If you'll take it but not give it. That's what you're saying. That somehow, listen, and when you say that you or I deserved grace, here's the the irony, you're destroying it as grace. Because if you deserved it, it ain't grace. That's the irony. And we're saying that the people that don't deserve grace, we withhold it. Ironically, they're the ones that get the grace. Because they don't deserve it. That's grace. I mean, that's how desperately sinful and wicked we are, that somehow we would think that we deserve God's grace and that we have a right to then withhold that which we have received, withhold that from others. And, and you see it on a handout, not sharing God's grace with others, no matter if it's for initial salvation or for the forgiveness of an offense by fellow believer, it shows, the word it shows that we have not received God's grace or at the very least we haven't grasped. God's grace. God's grace in our lives is to culminate in giving that same grace in other people. Mutuality. It's the body, and Paul speaks to that. I long to see that I may impart some spiritual... Why did he want to come to Rome? To be a blessing and to receive a blessing. Even Paul, big bad Paul, said that he would be blessed, encouraged in his faith, by the Romans, verse 12. Grace. Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You see it on your handout. Salvation begins with grace and our lives are sustained by grace. And we need a deeper understanding of gospel. Listen to me. Marriage issues, race issues, fellowship issues, self-righteousness and issues, it's issues. you know where all of those issues, you know where they're dealt with and they're crushed by the gospel. When you really grasp the grace of God, when you really grasp the debt that we've been forgiven. When you really grasp that in the gospel, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our, any of that, we are one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free in Christ. We are one in Christ. And we need each other. The body was meant to build each other up, to establish us in our faith. Lastly, Paul shows us here the ultimate purpose of everything we do as believers is to teach the gospel to everyone, resulting in faith and glory in Christ and obedience, a ministry we're obligated to participate in. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, so for my part I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Listen, Even to believers, what does Paul say? He is eager to preach the gospel. Grasp that. To believers, he is eager to come and preach the gospel. Why? Because we need to go deeper in the gospel. The ministry that we've been given is way beyond simply raising your hand and moving on. Way beyond that. We, we as, even as believers, never leave the gospel. We never get to a point that we do not rely on the gospel and need a better grasp on the gospel. Grace received in our own lives first. And you see it in your handout. Obedience rooted in faith was what Paul sought in the lives of others. Not because we were special, but because God is Gracious. Have you received God's mercy? Then show it by offering it to others. Have you received God's grace? Then show it by offering it to others. And it is a divine, he says, I am under obligation. And by doing this, listen to me, this is how faith becomes visible. Look at Romans 1.8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Faith is... Doing obedience takes faith, which is intangible, and makes it tangible. Faith that is invisible, and it makes it visible. How did the whole world know of their faith? Through their acts of mercy and through their giving of grace. You see it? How will the world see it? By doing it. Their faith was being proclaimed by the whole world through their faith, through their actions through their giving of mercy, through their fellowship with one another, through their serving one another, through their forgiving one another. Obedience rooted in faith. That's exactly what he said over in verse 5, to bring about the obedience of faith. You see it in the handout, though faith is invisible, it becomes visible through obedience. It's an obedience sourced in faith. In faith for Paul Again, it was not a private, individualized, fruitless thing. It worked itself out in the lives of other believers through obedience. Where did they grow and get established in their faith? Through obedience, in the context of a body, in the context of a family, of of God here at a church. The question becomes, what does your life show about what you truly believe? Faith for Paul was not something you had, but something that you lived by. It was not something simply you possessed. It was something you shared and gave away. And, and next week, as, as Lindsay read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, first to the Jew and then from the Gentile. For by it the, righteousness, or the righteous rather, shall live by what? Live by faith. It's not something you simply proclaim to have. It's something that guides your life. And that's a huge statement about faith. Why, again, do we need to deeply grasp the gospel and God's grace more? Because even as believers, we have, a, we have ways to go with regards to digging deeper into the grace of God. It's there that we understand our obligation to the world around us both to believer and non-believer alike. Why was Paul so desperate to come to Rome? Look at verse 15. To preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, to share God's grace, to be encouraged by God's grace, to establish one another in grace. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul says he was compelled to do this. But what does he say? It says the love of God, the love of Christ, Compelled him, controlled him, understanding that grace first in his own life, compelled him to give it to others. And all of this connects to 1 5 for the sake of the name. Listen, on your handout, if you have received the grace of God, you are mandated to give it to others. You're mandated. And in doing that, you're demonstrating that you first received it. That you understand it and that you've received it. At the very least, a lack of giving it shows that you do not grasp it. That you do not really understand that you're the 500 denarii debtor and not the 50 denarii debtor. And listen, this doesn't mean that we simply condone Sin. It doesn't mean that we, world in a worldly way, love one another and never get in one another's faces in a godly way and confront sin. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. They, Paul said, no, no. That brother that sins willfully and un- unrepentantly, throw him out. Why? To save his soul. Go to, go to Hebrews 12. It says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Why? Because verse 11, the fruit of that discipline is Righteousness. Why does he discipline us to get rid of sin, to bring about righteousness? It, I'm not don't, When I say grace, don't think it means we never come alongside and confront one another. But we do it lovingly. We do it graciously. We do it, Galatians 6, gently, the way that God does ours. Even that is a part of loving and a part of, again, does God confront us, does discipline us in our own sin? He does. Therefore, we do that to others, lovingly. And God's grace, He again, verse 14, God's grace makes us debtor, debtors. Listen, be careful here. God's grace makes us debtors, not to God, but to others who are in need of His grace. God's grace makes us debtors, not to God. You're not paying God back, okay? His grace is like our national debt. It is, it is compounding every moment so rapidly that you will never, ever, ever remotely pay him back. That's not a political statement. I'm just saying. That's an illustration. Put it, get on your phone and look at our national debt, and it is rapidly growing. Imagine that to be God's grace in your life. Every breath I take, God's grace. Last night while I was totally asleep, God's grace. This morning the sun came up, God's grace. Tonight the, moon's gonna, the sun's going to go down and the moon's going to come up, God's grace. Grace is never paid back to the one who gives grace. Otherwise it would destroy the grace. Listen, you see it on the handout. Our debt is to others who need the grace that we have first received through the gospel, both believers and non-believers, not only for salvation but for sanctification. Our debt is to others. Last Tuesday, and I don't want to embarrass him, and I probably should have emailed just to make sure, but God taught me this lesson. These are, there's so many of these things that overwhelm me as a pastor, and I am, just remind me of my inadequacy, my inability, my need for us just to simply grasp the gospel. That's our hope. I went and... had the chance to spend about an hour with a, a young man who just endured his 23rd surgery on his left leg over the span of about a year and some odd months. 23rd. I, I went to be an encouragement. I wanted to be an encouragement. I'm so grateful for their faith. And I think about my own life. If I was 17, 18 years old and was going through this, would I praise God? Would I be faithful? And yet week after week, that's what He does. And I left so encouraged by this person's attitude, their demeanor, that, that in this injury there have been things that have been taken away from him that he would love to do, and yet he has devoted himself to something else. This individual is, he'd never say this, but he's number two. He really should be number one, but there was a little mix out. He's number two in the state in bench press for his age and weight going around 330, 340 pounds. Listen, I could bench press three times if you added the weight up. It wouldn't get to 330. And I got two good legs. I mean, people are having to wheel him around his school, helping him into his classes, serving him, serving him. And yet he praises. There was a mutuality that day. I went to be a blessing, and you know what? I got the blessing. That's the way it is with the body. We show up here on Sundays, not just for your own good, but to praise our great God, to encourage one another. You have no idea how people are coming in here every, every Sunday. You have no idea what they've gone through all week. They need to be encouraged to know they're not alone. They need to be encouraged to hang in there, to keep fighting we have an obligation. It's not, not whether we just feel like it or depending on how good we slept last night or the weather. We have an obligation to one another. All due to the grace of God. And it's interesting, in Romans 1.8, Paul doesn't thank them for their salvation. Paul thanks God for their salvation. Why? Because salvation is by grace through faith. John Piper said this, and it's on your handout. You can't boast that you were a believer you can only thank. Why? Because it's by grace. A better grasp on grace. And Paul says it's to everyone. Greeks and barbarians. That word there, the, the Greeks viewed anyone who was a non-Greek to be barbaric. He's basically saying everyone. Everyone. The wise and the foolish, the Greek and the non-Greek. And you see it there on your handout. We too must be eager to preach the gospel at all times and to everyone just as Paul was. And and I hope as we walk out of here, we will understand the weight of our gatherings. The importance of our gatherings. The weight of our need to mature and to grow spiritually. The weight of grasping the gospel. The weight of, of doing life together. And to help facilitate this, Karen and I have been talking about this for some time and in, in, to help facilitate our love for one, one another and, and to minister better as pastor and wife. Starting in February, every month, we're going to open up our home on the fourth Friday of every month to this body from 6 to 9. Stay later if you want. I may just go to bed, but stay as late as you want. But the four, hey, the fourth Friday of every month, 6 to 9, our house is going to be, we're going to block it off. Our house is going to be open. Anyone who wants to come over to our house and hang out. You want to bring a neighbor? Bring them. You want to bring a friend? Bring them. We have a pool. We have a pond behind our house. You can fish. You can swim. We, we want the fourth Friday of every month to be just all you need to do is RSVP to let us know you're coming so we can have food. We, we want to set the tone. We, we want to learn better to love each other, to be a better community for the glory of God, not just for us. So the fourth Friday of every month, the Basham House, learning. Listen, here's why. To learn to love one another better. To be a, to be a lighthouse, a picture in the community of what the body of Christ could be, to create an appetite a thirst in nonbelievers that they would want to be a part of a body like that. Amen. And I pray that would be going on all over the place. The fourth Friday, every month, we, we, we looked at the rest of the year, and that was the best Friday. Fourth Friday, every month. Let, let's, let's be that body. Let's be a body that first understands grace in our own lives and is quick to give that grace that we first received to others. Amen? Amen.